Weird times, creepy crimes, and unexplained phenomenon. If it's weird and it's in Florida, it's on the SoFlo Weird Show. Here's your host and head weirdo, Mia Lorenzo. Welcome, weirdos. Thanks for joining me. The SoFlo Weird Street Team met up with award-winning author and reporter Craig Pittman at the Miami Book Fair. Pittman, a Florida native, worked for the Tampa Bay Times, where his environmental reporting garnered him multiple regional and national honors. He writes a weekly column for the nonprofit news source Florida Phoenix, which covers state politics and government. He is the co-host of the Welcome to Florida podcast and author of six books, including the New York Times bestseller, Oh, Florida, How America's Weirdest State Influences the Rest of the Country, which was awarded a gold medal by the Florida Book Awards. The Florida Heritage Book Festival named him a Florida literary legend in 2020. We spoke with Craig about his work, what he enjoys about this strange and bizarre state, and his book Manatee and Sanity, Inside the War Over Florida's Most Famous Endangered Species. I started by asking Craig if his upbringing as a Florida native influenced his work. Of course it did. And how could it not? I know. Uh, but the thing is, it took me a while to figure that out. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't until I went off to college in Alabama that I realized how weird Florida is because, you know, until then I thought everybody, every place was like my hometown of Pensacola where, you know, you have politicians with nicknames like the Bandy Rooster who made their fortune selling hula hoops and, the, you know, there's a, you go to the beach and there's a UFO on top of a building there and the day of, uh, the day that the kids follow the city councilman around, there's a huge debate about whether to allow Oak Calcutta to be presented at the municipal auditorium. <laughs> so I just thought that was normal and obviously it was not. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people that I've interviewed that are Florida natives, they leave, they come back. It's almost like they have a more of an appreciation. That is absolutely true. I got, I, you know, college is supposed to be four years. I came back in three. I was like, I got to get out of here. I <laughs> got to get ran back. I just about. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, well, partly cause I started getting the hives just from being in a landlocked place. Yeah. I, I missed the water and I missed Florida. Now it seems I I was reading in in one of those books is that you're you were kind of a natural born explorer and liked adventure as a kid. Um, well, I it certainly invented yeah. a lot of <laughs> a lot yeah. of adventures. Right. Uh, you know, and um, Pensacola is the rainiest city in Florida. Uh, so when I wasn't outside, you know, skinning my knees pretending to do stuff, <laughs> I would be indoors reading books and then making up stories about all my pretend adventures. And my mom finally got tired of me bugging her to write down what I was saying and gave me her old portable Smith Corona to play with. And so that's where I started, you know, very, very painstakingly typing out my fanciful stories about all my many exploits. And that's sort of where I started telling stories. And about how old were you? Oh, gosh. Um, 10, 12? I don't know. I forget. Something like that. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I come from that sort of southern storytelling tradition my dad was a big hunter and fisherman and i'd go with him and to me the memorable stuff was not the hunting or the fishing but the storytelling that went with it when he was with his buddies and they were exaggerating about how big the fish were and how many how many birds got away when they were there with their dog and how great their dogs were i mean just just you know and there was always lots of laughter because everybody knew they were lying but it was storytelling (laughs) so it was okay of course (laughs) Were you always on the lookout for weird stories or the more obscure stories? You know, my parents used to read 
they were very re- religious about reading the paper, and they would read stories to each other about funny stuff that they saw. And my dad was in the land surveying business, so he would bring home funny stories about some of the people he did business with. So, you know, hearing that stuff. But again, I thought it was normal. It wasn't until I went away, then came back and went, oh, this place is it's special, as they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, at the when I was working at the uh, what was then the St. Petersburg Times, I got roped into helping out with this thing called the Sour Orange Awards, where every year we would compile a list of the weirdest stories that happened in Florida for the year, sort of like Esquire's old Dubious Achievement Awards, <laughs> except we would award them the Sour Oranges. And uh, so Tom Zuko and Tom French were the guys who started that. So they kind of included me and that sort of started me on this journey of documenting Florida's weirdness. Are, is there any record of those Sour Orange Awards oh, somewhere? I mean, they're, they're not on YouTube or I something, are they? I doubt it. I okay. very much doubt it. In fact, I, I don't think they're even online anymore. I had to, I had when I was writing Oh, Florida, I had to track some of them down using the, you know, LexisNexis and stuff like mm-hmm. that, just because I remembered some of the stories because they were just so outlandish. Outlandish indeed. We're going to pause right here because we actually found some of those weird and obscure stories that received the coveted Sour Orange Award. This is an excerpt from a Tampa Bay Times 2004 article. 2004 Sour Orange Awards, Contemplating Our Navels, by Tom Zuko and Craig Pittman. This year, we Floridians endured four hurricanes, a particularly nasty presidential election, the Terry Schiavo saga, a string of senseless shootings, and more stress and worry than anyone from any state deserves. By year's end, we had the collective energy level of a soggy boot. But we also had a fight at a retirement home, a rigged bass fishing tournament, and some bozo practicing dentistry out of his garage. This, after all, is a state where crooks misspell hold-up notes, a woman sees the Virgin Mary in a grilled cheese sandwich, and we can always count on our citizens to come up with new ways to amuse, confuse, and embarrass us. In that spirit we present the 15th annual Sour Orange Awards, the most idiotic news from Florida in 2004. Board up the windows, crawl under the sofa, and read on. The Ron Artest Home for the Elderly It started, Winter Haven Police said, when Spring Haven Retirement Community resident Lee Thoss, 62, was picking through lettuce. That disgusted 86-year-old William Hawker, who was standing in line behind him. Hawker told Thoss no one wanted to eat food he was playing with. Thoss yelled and cursed at him, and Hawker called him a nasty name. Then, witnesses said, Thoss began punching Hawker in the face. In the buffet melee that followed, Alan Croft, 79, tried to grab Thoss, who bit him on the arm. Thoss's mother, Arlene, in her 80s and also a Springhaven resident, jumped in to break up the fight and ended up with a cut arm. Harry Griffin, 92, was standing at the salad bar and cut his head when he was knocked to the ground. Bassanine. It took Ronnie Lynn Robinson two years to own up to his fishtail. In 2002, he won nearly $2,000 in a Lake County bass fishing tournament. But when a tournament official gutted the winning fish, he found three eight-ounce weights in its stomach. Robinson was stripped of his prize, and this year he pleaded guilty to an unusual criminal charge, a common law cheating. A judge put him on probation and told him to stay away from fishing contests. Jacksonville, gateway to Palatka. 
Jacksonville, site of the 2005 Super Bowl, was looking for a slogan that describes the city. Here are some of the suggestions the city received. Giant cockroach capital of the South. Redneck heaven. It's not that bad. And like Mayberry, only bigger. I continue my conversation with Craig Pittman by asking him what he loves about Florida. Well, I always start the list with the state park system. We have the best state park system in America, and it's not just me who says that. They've won four national awards, the only state park system in the country to win four national awards. And, I mean, it's just a magical state park system because, to me, it perfectly reflects Florida because there's great beauty in places like Topsail Hill up in Panhandle and also quirkiness. We've got the only state park system that has mermaids on the employee list over at Wikiwachi Springs. We've got at Homosassa Springs, there's actually a hippo who lives there who has been officially classified as a Florida citizen because <laughs> it was the only way they could get the hippo to stay, Lou the hippo. It was part of a, an old you know, roadside attraction, but people love Lou, and so they petitioned the governor to let Lou stay when it became a state park. You know, It's only supposed to be for native species. Obviously, hippos are not native to Florida. So Governor Lawton Childs officially proclaimed Lou the hippo to be a Florida citizen just so <laughs> Lou could stay there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just such a Florida thing. You know, I love our beaches, many of which are often classified as the greatest in, in the nation, if not the world. Um, and, uh, and, of course, we always have the best police log items. One of my favorites is uh, from Gainesville, Man and Road Ridge incident runs over self. <laughs> is that possible? <laughs> yes. He got, a, he got out of the truck. Yeah. <laughs> that was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't take it out of gear. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can we go um, back a second to mm-hmm. the mermaids? Yes. Okay. Did you say they were government employees? Yeah, they're state employees. They're, they're, they're state when, employees. When, uh, well, you know, it was started in 1947 by a former Navy frogman named Newton Perry, who bought this beautiful underground spring, fished out all the broken refrigerators and old cars that people had thrown in there, and built this underwater amphitheater and then hired young women from the area to put on these 20, no, I'm, I think they're 60-pound prosthetic tails and swim around and wave at the tourists. Oh, my God. And, and it worked. It was hugely popular. Elvis came by for a visit, other big celebrities. And then around 2000, business started to <clears throat> tail off. Um, and so <laughs> rather than see this go to a, a water bottler or a developer, the state stepped in and bought Wikiwachi Springs and turned it into a state park which means all the mermaids work for the state and they you know it's led to some interesting conversations about the use of tax dollars to pay for waterproof lipstick and shell bras Uh, but but it's still as popular today as it ever was uh i co-host a podcast called welcome to florida and we were lucky enough to get one of the original mermaids to come on as a guest she's 92 oh my gosh and she was a pistol she was great and she said back in the old days we would perform and then in between our performances we had to go out and pick up trash and uh and also sell hot dogs to the crowds (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) well let's just pause there for a moment tell me what your podcast is about oh welcome to florida the conceit of of welcome to florida is pretty simple which is 900 new people move here every day and nobody tells them what they're getting into (laughs) so so we try and fill that gap so uh we've we've been doing it for two years now uh we've had guests ranging from a python hunter to uh, the head of the Nudist Recreation Society in Florida, because Florida has more, more nudist resorts than any other state, an expert on cockroaches. Uh, we talked to uh, someone who wrote a book about the 1928 hurricane that inspired Zora Neale Hurston's book, 
Their eyes were watching God. We've interviewed Florida icons like Carl Hyacin, uh, Desmond Mead, Betty Osceola, Clyde Butcher, the oh, photographer. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we have not yet run out of subjects, and I don't expect we ever will because, you know, Florida has so many great stories to tell. And your co-host? Chad Scott, who was in sports radio in Jacksonville, and he actually contacted me after reading one of my books. He read my book on Panthers, uh, Cattail, and thought it was terrific and started following me on Twitter and then contacted me and said, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And I said, have I? Because I (laughs) I had pitched one at the paper I used to work at, and Mm -hmm. they they were management. You know, they kind of like, oh, well, that's a fad. We think it's going to go away. (laughs) No, 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 no. What about your work as an environmental journalist would you say was most satisfying? I mean, the great thing about covering the environment in Florida is that they have to pay you to go out and ride around on a boat now and again. I got to see a loggerhead sea turtle laying its eggs on a beach on a pitch black night. Uh, I've gotten to tromp through swamps, uh, hike through forests, and... uh, it's just a, it's a cool job. Plus, you, you, the other big benefit is you get to ask rude questions of politicians. <laughs> <laughs> Do they answer? I if you press them enough, eventually yeah. they will actually follow Bob Graham into a men's bathroom to get him to answer uh, a question he didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to move into Manatee, Insanity. Okay. Okay. Um, th- to me, there was a few surprises in this book like mm-hmm. i didn't realize how controversial it was because it's such a lovable animal i guess i another thing i don't understand is how a sea cow was even um thought of as a mermaid <laughs> i don't you're I don't referring quite to get the that. well you, you know bear in mind these are sailors who've been at sea for a long yeah well long time. yeah and must have forgot what <laughs> a woman looked like i guess but and i would imagine seeing something like that for the first time and not knowing what it is was, would be very mysterious and well yeah i went to a uh, high school uh a few years ago to talk about my work to kids it was like career day and uh, I did a little slideshow about it, and I got to a picture of a manatee. And one one of the kids, this is a Florida high school, one of the kids said, what is that? Really? Had never seen a manatee never? before. Yeah. It must not be near the water. I mean. It's in St. Petersburg. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, near the water. But this kid had never had never seen a manatee. But, you know, so much of the stuff we do with our kids these days is indoors. Yeah, I know. And we don't take them out to the beach. We don't take them out to see things like this. Right. And, uh, you know, I've tried to do differently with my kids. I made sure they got to see manatees. I actually took them. The, the book is actually dedicated to them because once it was Christmas time. We'd given them, we'd spent a lot of money on gifts, so we were basically broke <laughs> and, and around New Year's. And the heater in the house had broken, and it was it was cold that winter. And so uh, I was thinking, well, what can I do to get them out of this cold house where all they want to do is play the new video games they got and do something warm and I thought, and, and free? And so, I'd, okay, guys, we're going to get in the car. Or we're going to drive for a while. So we piled into the van which had a working heater, and drove around to Apollo Beach, which is about an hour away uh, over on the Tampa side of Tampa Bay, to the power plant. Mm. And there okay. were 300 manatees huddled up together for, in, the, in the warm outfall of the power plant. And when they saw that, one of the kids said, Dad, this is cooler than video games. Oh, my God. <laughs> there you go. It was, a major, well, there you go. it was a major parenting moment. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I didn't also didn't realize the amount of danger that they faced in yeah. different ways, not just boat propellers. You state man is its only enemy. Mm-hmm. Also, you describe them as hippies yes. of the animal kingdom because they're a symbol of peace. So it's quite ironic that, you know, their survival is creating this war, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Why is this so contentious? Um, because, uh, 
well, there are two reasons. One is, you know, I call manatees the endangered species you can see. Yeah. Because a lot of endangered species, they're very shy. Panthers, for instance, you know, there right. are way more license plates with panthers on them than there are actual panthers. Right. So they're they're hard to hard to see and hard to for people to kind of relate to. Manatees, people see them. They're you know around your your backyard seawall or they're popping up at the state park you just visited, someplace like that. And so they're visible. They're out there. Maybe too much out there for that one woman that was at St. Pete Beach and saw one and jumped on its back and tried riding it for a while. Yeah, that's crazy. That's <laughs> Thank crazy. God people took pictures so the cops were able to identify her and charge her with that. I, although she got off pretty what lightly. Was that, what was that, assault on a manatee? Well, it's molesting a manatee. That was a crime, <laughs> molesting a manatee. Jeez. And so she got off pretty lightly from the court system because it was a first offense. But I, th- I think her real penalty was that pictures of her thighs were flashed around the world. <laughs> <laughs> God. To answer your question, uh, you know, manatees, they, they are, they're in the way of people who want to build an, on the waterfront and people who want to run their boat as fast as they possibly can. And there have been a number of uh, efforts to control both of those things, and they have not gone very far because people are really, really determined that they want to do what they want to do. And right. in Florida, generally, we let them do that. And, you know, regardless of the impact that it has. There are a lot of boaters who love manatees and, and try and avoid them. But there are some folks who are like, I'm going to run my boat as fast as I want to, and I don't care what's in front of me. And that's the reason why Florida not just kills a lot of manatees, but kills a lot of people. We yeah. consistently lead the nation in the number of boating accidents and the number of fatal boating accidents. And if the legislature passed rules requiring people to get a license the way they do for driving a car, it would reduce those things tremendously. But the legislature refuses to do that because they're all about freedom. Yeah, I know. I love how you do like this humongous deep dive into history and... So to speak. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I mean, things that I didn't know, like uh, what what was his name? John Morse or Jim Morse, who the first one... Oh, Frederick Morse. Frederick Morse, who, yes. who first passed the law a to Coconut protect Grove them? guy. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, he was from Coconut, Coconut Grove, which actually is older than Miami. And he was living there in the 1890s and had a great—he had a tremendous gift for gab, which, of course, means that he, A, went into real estate and, B, went into politics. Mm-hmm. So he became a state legislator. And he's the guy who passed the first law to say it's illegal to kill a manatee except for science. And you have to get a permit from your county commission to do it. And if you don't, there's a pretty stiff penalty. I think it was like six months in jail or something like that. He didn't leave behind any records of why he did it. But we think that the reason is because he was really good friends with the most popular children's book author of the day, appropriate since we're at the Miami Book Fair, and uh, a guy named uh, Kirk, Kirk, Mon- yeah. Kirk Monroe, mm-hmm. yeah, and his wife, Mary Barr Monroe, who was what we today would call an echo-Nazi. Uh, <laughs> you know, the fashion for ladies' hats back then was to wear hats with these plumes from Florida oh, birds, yeah. egrets, and, and so forth. And she would actually stalk them through the streets of New York and then snatch the feather out of their hat oh and God. then lecture them about why it was wrong. Um, she and would have been a part of PETA, right? She would have been. And <laughs> she was instrumental in starting the state park that eventually became Everglades National Park. So she's pretty a pretty important figure, and yeah. so is he. Because one of his books that came out the year before the law that Frederick Morse passed talks about manatees and how they're imperiled and how important they are and and why everybody should try and protect them. So we think that's that friendship is what led to Frederick Morse passing this law back in 1893. But at that time, it wasn't the same challenges that they face now. No. I think they were eating them. People they were eating them. Eating, yeah. but, but also people were just killing them because, oh, my gosh, we think there are fewer manatees. We should kill one before they're all gone. 
you know that doesn't make any sense no but that was the that was the thinking among scientists back then we need to have a a display in the museum so people will know what they used to look like right so they 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 clamped down on that but yeah it was you know it was they were considered to be a delicacy uh one manatee could feed all of coconut grove for like three weeks um you know back in the day i actually talked to one guy who pre-endangered species act actually he he was caring for a manatee that died and so he out of curiosity cooked it and said actually it's the marbling is like pork but it tastes like steak Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I hasten to add there are no re- recipes in this book. No, it's not a cookbook. No, <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I guess that would make sense. They're um, the way they're built. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. you know, and they're vegetarians. They're, you know, constantly eating and yeah. So w- what is the biggest threat facing them now? I know it's the boaters. Is it the seagrass, too? Because they eat, it's they the kind of graze. It's the loss of seagrass. We, you know, okay. we had a massive manatee die off uh, last year. More than a thousand of them died from starvation because they didn't have seagrass to eat the seagrass got killed off by toxic algae blooms oh, yeah, that, that were bad. fed by our pollution and it's still going on i just was attending a press conference uh, this past week where the fish and wildlife conservation commission was saying yeah we're going to have to artificially feed them lettuce again this winter oh because there's just not enough seagrass growing out there in the indian river lagoon to feed them in the winter malnutrition has become a long-term problem for them and we don't know the effects that it's having on things like their breeding cycle the interesting thing to me is, you know, after my book came out the first time, the Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, the day after Manatee Appreciation Day, yeah. announced that they were taking manatees off the endangered list and listing them as threatened. But they were saying, but don't worry, everything's fine. This is a good sign that they're recovering. Everything's peachy keen. You know, and then we have the die-off. And so a lot of uh, a lot of people, including some members of Congress, have called for them and put them back on the endangered list. So far, they haven't done that. Did you ever get up close to a manatee in oh, the yeah. water okay oh, yeah. tell, tell the, me about that <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing but um um good no. one of the, <laughs> the one place in america where you can go swimming with the manatees legally is crystal river the place where woody hartman first did in-depth manatee studies did literally in-depth because he dove with them oh right and uh jacques cousteau filmed part of his famous 1972 tv special about him forgotten mermaids they're they're the only city around that has a mermaid uh, i'm sorry a manatee-based economy and you can go swimming with the manatees there because it started before the endangered species act passed so it kind of got grandfathered in so i signed up with this uh, wonderful service called birds underwater that takes tourists out in wetsuits because you have to go when it's cold because that's when the manatees are there in king's bay and you swim with the manatees i'd never put on a wetsuit before and i was i have to admit i was a little freaked out by the whole thing and so i flailed around in the water and chased away all the manatees except one this one big i'm i'm still not convinced he was alive but he was there and I went up and petted him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, the guide looked disgusted at me. <laughs> but I did it. And yeah. and they videotape you doing it. Yeah. Oh, and geez. no one has ever seen that videotape, I, I and no one ever that. will. <laughs> and you saw it? Did you see no, it? No, I've okay. lived it. I don't feel yeah, like I needed it. I didn't, right. I didn't even let my wife see it. It was just it was like, because I actually looked a little too much like a manatee in the wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Jacques Cousteau who actually brought more of a awareness yes. to the manatees after yes. he did that um, yeah. show. Yeah, uh, Woody Hartman, who was a Cornell uh, postgrad student, did this big study about manatees in the water, and then because he got some of his funding from National Geographic, wrote a story for National Geographic magazine about them, and it featured the first underwater photography of manatees. And so Jacques Cousteau saw the story and said, 
Sacre Bleu, this is a great story. And, <laughs> that was good. And so he came to, he came and, and did this big hour-long documentary about manatees. And part of it was here in Miami because there had been a manatee that got stuck in a sewer pipe here. And they, they got it loose and they called it Sewer Sam and put it at the Miami Seaquarium. And so Cousteau came up with this great idea of he was going to rescue Sewer Sam. He was going to take Sewer Sam out of the aquarium, fly him across Florida, and turn him loose in Crystal River where the other manatees were. And as soon as it aired, because, you know, you remember millions of people used to watch those shows. Oh, yeah. It was appointment TV in of my course, house. Of course, of course. And people started showing up in Crystal River saying, we want to see the manatees. Mm-hmm. And so it or became... Sewer Sam. I want to see Sewer yeah, Sam. <laughs> yeah, and we, we don't know what happened. We know Sewer Sam successfully was released there and swam away, and we don't know what happened to him after that. But, you know, it made for great TV. What do you want people to take away from this book? I want them to appreciate manatees. You know, some people think of them as dumb animals, uh, and they're not. They're fairly fairly smart. Snooty, for instance, was still doing tricks that Snooty had learned as a baby back when Harry Truman was in office, and was you know. So uh, you know, they're not dolphins, but they're you know they're they're pretty smart, and they can mm-hmm. figure stuff out. They're also remarkably resilient. Uh, one manatee had been hit by boats forty-seven times, uh, and was still going strong. And it was the forty-eighth time that killed it. Oh. And so, you know, I think the more people appreciate them, the the more people understand them, the more willing they'll be to share space with them. Because that's really what we what, exactly. what we need to do. We need to be willing to share our waterways with them because they're one of the things that make us a really special place. Exactly. Agreed. Totally agree. What's next for you? Uh, I'm working on book number seven. I've written six so far. Uh, my sixth one being The State You're In, Florida Men, Florida Women, and Other Wildlife. Uh, and I'm now working on a book about pythons. I actually tracked down the guy who found the first python in the Everglades back in 1979. He's retired now. He lives up in Washington State. He's a former park ranger. I called him up, and I said, hey, you, you probably don't remember this happening, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, remember it? I still have the skin. <laughs> um, and then he told me the story. He said, this is why it was memorable. I was on a first date. <laughs> he, oh come, he and his date, they were both they both worked at Everglades National Park. They had gone to Miami for, you know, to go to a bar or something like that. And they were headed home and they're driving along this very dark road and he's got the bright lights on and he sees something in the edge of the road and he thinks, That's the biggest rattlesnake I've ever seen. So he slams on brakes, jumps out, runs over, and sees it's not a rattlesnake, it's some other kind of snake, but it's somebody had run over the right behind the head so it was in pretty good condition so he grabs it and starts dragging it back to the car oh, and his date says what are you doing he says i'm going to take this home and skin it she said not with me in the car <laughs> and he said well i'll come back for you then oh, <laughs> there, w- there was no second date <laughs> no, 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 no. oh my gosh that is crazy Ugh. Well, how can people follow you? Uh, I am on Twitter, as long as Twitter's still around. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, at Craig Times uh, is my Twitter account. I have a website, craigpittman.com. And the the, uh, the podcast is Welcome to Florida with me and Chad Scott. Yep, and it's very good. Very thank good. you. All right, well, thank you. I'm so glad my I finally pleasure. met you in person. I'm glad I met you. <laughs> and we didn't do anything weird yet. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you, Craig. Sure. Know of a weird place or have a weird tale to tell? Go to SoFloWeird.com. If you want more strange Florida stories, be sure to visit us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us by searching at SoFloWeird. And please join our SoFloWeirdos Facebook group where we share Florida's dubious tales every week. 
As a fan of the SoFlow Weird Show, there are many ways you can become involved. Our goal is to create a community of weirdos who celebrate all things strange in the Sunshine State. Here's Michelle to tell you how you can join our team. Are you a super fan and weirdo to the core? Then consider joining our SoFlow Weird Street team. Get free stickers and represent us on social media with hashtag SoFloWeirdStreetTeam. Just send us a message on social or through our website and you'll be on your way to street team status. Like what you hear on this podcast? Then consider giving us a review and please share with your friends. If you wish to support the SoFlo team in our freakish mission to entertain your insatiable appetite for weird stories, then go to our website, pick up some SoFlo swag, or buy us a coffee, and we'll give you a shout-out on the show. I'm Mia Lorenzo. Thank you for listening to the SoFlo Weird Show. Special thanks goes to our weird announcer, Joe Johnson, Michelle McArdle for promotion and production assistance, Katerina Fonte of our SoFlo Weird Street team, and Lisa Pally, PR and marketing for the Miami Book Fair. This has been a Sideshow Charlie production inspired by Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. Stay weird, everybody. <laughs>